Welcome to a new season of Political Traction. I'm Amanda Galbraith. With a new conservative opposition leader in Ottawa, is federal politics about to get exciting again? Justin Trudeau has met a worthy opponent in Pierre Polyev as the two trade blows for the first time in what's sure to be many rounds in the House of Commons. And in the provinces, momentum continues to build behind anti-federalist politicians. In Ottawa and across the country, there's lots going on behind the scenes. I'm Amanda Galbraith, joining you one last time before I head out on maternity leave and my colleague Adam Owen steps in for the season. Adam's here with me today as we unpack what this all means for the political landscape in Canada. This is Political Traction. So Amanda, Pierre Polyevre has been in the opposition leadership position for a month now, about a month. How has he been doing? <laughs> uh I'd say reasonably well, um, given, you know, there's been some, I think some knee jerk reactions or things that I would have said were unnecessary, like some own goals example, when they went after that Quebec MP pretty aggressively with the, with the, um, the, like, frankly, an MP I'd never heard of and most people wouldn't have heard of and made national news because of that. I think did some damage in Quebec, but I would say broadly, um, he's performed well. Um, he's appointed a team of deputies who are, diverse, who are young, who are representative of the country, you know, um, um, his deputy leader, Ms. Lansman, is um, LGBTQ. Um, his other deputy leader is racialized. So I think that is like an important step forward for the Conservative Party, which, you know, represents, I think, who Pierre also brings to the table to a certain extent. So I'd say he's good. I think for Conservatives, they're happy with what he's doing. I also think his ability to kind of slug it out with the Prime Minister in question period and back and forth on inflation has been good. It also, I think, has seen the Prime Minister kind of raise his game a bit in QP, which is nice. It's kind of like, you know, good athletes sort of push each other. So I would say broadly well, um, you know, but they still have that killer instinct, which I think did them very well in the leadership campaign, probably needs to be moderated just a titch. But I think you'll see that as they step up. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, they, they, you, you call it killer instinct. They're also really, really pulling for any fight that they can have with the media. I mean, I don't know if I I think that's accurate. I think that, you know, they probably somewhat correctly feel that they don't get a fair shake out of the media. And I think that, like, candidly, conservatives, like, do not, right? Like, as a conservative, and I love, like, I host a show, I'm a member, I kind of, I'm not a member of direct media, but I certainly consider many of them my friends. But the media overarchingly tend to skew center to left, broadly in Canada in particular. So they're just much more suspicious of or hostile to, I think, some of the views that, that Pierre would espouse. Um, he's also been super successful at going around them, you know, like that that whole campaign was going around them. Like, I mean, like, we'll talk about Danielle Smith. She hadn't had a press conference since May. She's about, she did one, I think, this week. Um, so that's like a really, really long time to completely ignore the media. So I think, and they can do that and win leadership campaigns, which tells you something. It doesn't mean he can win. I don't think he can win the general population by broadly ignoring the media. I think he can use other tools, which he's done very successfully. Um, I do think, you know, him making a statement, and I, I think you're pointing to probably the David Aiken incident, which reflected poorly on both of them, is what former, I would say. Is former, like son, be- former son news had David Aiken. Yeah, and like, Aiken, like Aiken's no like Aiken's no liberal, conservative yeah. or liberal hack. Aiken's like an equal. I just I said this about a couple. Like it's my highest compliment. Like an equal opportunity rat fucker. Like he'll go after <laughs> you if you're 
on the left, he'll go after you on the right. And there's a couple of friends of mine who are journalists who are like that. They don't care where you sit in the political spectrum. They just want the story. And I think that's like actually a good journalist, right? And I think Aiken is a very good journalist. Um, so, but he clearly was pissed that they were told they can't take questions and decided to take a run up at Pierre. And I think it reflected poorly on him because he could have made his point without interrupting him a million times. And Pierre could have made his point very easily or stood back and been like, what the hell? And not called him a liberal, but they use her for fun. Anyway, so like yeah. certainly, certainly they're playing to type to a certain extent, which pleases the base. Does that get you the whole country? No, but then again, we don't need 40% anymore. Neither does it do the liberals, right? They went with the lowest plurality of their vote in history. I think it was like 32 or 33% of Canadians voted for like, so if you play the game properly, if you play the electoral map properly, you don't need 35, 40, 45%. You can win with 32, 33, which is kind of crazy. And I think yields some of this conversation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to go back to your point about how he's able to go around traditional media. In prepping for this, in, in, in thinking, you know, what, how, what have I heard from Pierre in the, last, in the last month? It seemed like, and this is just my perception, that once he won the election, he just disappeared. And then I realized that that's just because I read the Globe and Mail. And it was... <laughs> You know, up until the point where he was, uh, where he won the nomination or where he won the um, uh, the leadership, every single Andrew Coyne or Gary Mason column in the Globe and Mail was pearl clutching about how uh, how Pierre is uh, is 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 a, is a complete radical. And then the second he's he's in, there were no headlines about about anything that he was doing in the uh, in, in the in the Globe, and that's probably because of the lack of availabilities. Then I went to his his Twitter and he's, he's active. He's tweeting eight, nine times a day about current, current issues, uh, getting a lot of engagement. I wonder how the media is going to respond to that. If they're, you know, whether there's an antagonistic relationship or not, if he's just not making himself available, if you need to report on everything from outside the fence, how is the media going to, going to cover him? I mean, it'll be interesting because for one you know, they have a lot of opportunity to see him, right? Like in question period, which he's strong and he'll be there. Um, you know, anybody who's been in Ottawa knows, like, it's, it reminds me of, it's a bit like City, like when I was in City Hall in Toronto, I was like kind of mystified at this, but like the press gallery had, like there's there's like the public area and then there's a little passcode and that's where all the offices are. And I was like, what do you mean the media just have the same passes that we do and they just wander about the halls and you can't like you can't exit a door without they want to find you, they're gonna find you, right? So there's certain restricted areas, but like broadly, if a reporter wants to find Pierre like like Pierre Paul or any politician, like on Parliament Hill, there's ways to get to them in committee or you know, whatever in the halls or exiting QP. There's like, you know, something called Coward's Alley in Queens Park where they can sneak out the back. Um, and then there's certain opportunities are occasionally uh, in Ottawa. So I would say. I would say they'll have opportunity to cover him. They won't have maybe opportunity to kick his tires as much as much and kick him around. But if I was his team, I don't know why I would, right? I would put him up like sparingly when I want to make a point. And he should and like and the thing I think is interesting when they were like, he's not going to take any questions. And the strategy to that is obviously you don't you want to you want to focus your message, right? And I would do that. I've done that with lots of politicians. Either they don't take questions, they'll only take a couple. And but the prime minister takes like three to four with one follow. Like he's no bastion of openness and accessibility. And it's, and it's like a bullshit how he answers some of them. Like it's, and then fine. Good right, for him. Yeah. He's negotiated that. It's actually stricter than what Harper did like to a certain extent <laughs> in some way. 
like so none of them are, are like let's have a full like fireside chit chat um i think knowing pierre polyam he would love nothing more than to go toe-to-toe with media for 30 minutes like probably nothing more than to go do that but that's not serving his ends so do i think the media will do david akins or get pissed but yeah for sure to a certain extent but it's up to the parliamentary press gallery to push and to find and if they've allowed the prime minister to dictate four questions or whatever it is now with one follow my guess is they're not going to be super successful at that not to mention the fact that he's got a huge audience online which he's proven he can mobilize and move around them so i think there's certainly going to be an enmity there it suits both of their purposes but particularly it suits Pierre's purposes um but i i don't think there's going to be a lack of opportunity for them to cover him and if the globe wants to like you know like that like also so as we know, the real stories aren't at press conferences. They're not. Like the real stories are like digging around and finding stuff. And good journalists are doing that all day long anyway. They're not, I mean, attending the press conference gets stuff, but even if you get an exclusive or a good story, you're not gonna put that question to the guy in a scrum. Very rarely, because then everybody else gets it, gets your story, right? So that stuff's going on behind the scenes and then there's follow-up. So I think it'll be interesting. I think there's gonna be a lot of like pearl clutching about the relationship with the media because it will be seen in the US. Um, I don't think it's anywhere near as bad as there, for example. I don't think it's going to be as bad as there. And just because it's too small, people like, you know, Piers key advisors are sitting on CBC, CTV, like, like all those panels. Like they're all, everybody's drinking each other's bathwater up there. It's just, we all want to kind of shake our fists because it serves Pierre for fundraising and it serves the media because it's a narrative. Yeah, I, I, I want to um, just reference one a really great article that Matt Gurney wrote uh, a few, either weeks or months ago, it, it, but it's still current. It's about how the media needs to uh, learn how to live in this new environment, because you're right, every time, like it was about five minutes after the David Aiken, uh, Donnybrook, that the uh, the fundraising emails went out and said, friends, this is what we're up against. Can't you see? Uh, so you're right. It absolutely does serve serve all of their purposes. Uh, let's yeah, yeah. I mean, and Matt Gurney's yeah. a really smart guy, right? Like Matt Gurney's brilliant at that, and I agree. I, like, I don't trust me. I would not be advising my candidate or MP or minister or mayor to call out a reporter like that. I actually always say, like, don't personalize it. Don't get in a fight with them directly, because that's audio that they let. I mean, they don't like. Obviously, I think journalists want to do their jobs. They're professionals, um, but and you don't want to be the story. But that that's great audio, right? It got played across the country. Um, well, it so, confirmed like, it confirmed everybody's previous uh, perception of of what the relationship was. Well, yeah, I think it confirmed. I think the which I actually don't think the actual relationship is that bad, but um, but yeah, I think it it just like nobody would advise that, um, but it's going to happen sometimes. And I just think, but I think it'll be interesting to see how it levels out as as staff come on board because uh, I got to remember like they're operating with campaign staff who've been working kind of part-time volunteering or whatever. So there will be staff coming in to professionalize the app, like, well, kind of add boots and arms and legs and stuff to the place. So it'll be interesting to see how it levels off in the coming months. Let's take a look west to Alberta and uh, full, um, well, a disclaimer for listeners, we are recording this on Thursday morning. Uh, We anticipate that Danielle Smith will be declared the winner of the UCP leadership race uh and if you're hearing this then that's what happened if you're not then we'll we'll re-record we'll re-record this but it looks like uh you mentioned danielle smith another uh populist politician who uh 
managed to find success by working around the media and not directly engaging. There was an article in the Globe again. <laughs> big shout out to the Globe. Uh, Love the Globe. Love the Globe <laughs> earlier here. this week from uh, from uh, uh, Jen Gerson, uh, just giving credit to Danielle Smith's ability to ride a wave of anti-vaccine, anti-mandate sentiment. One thing that I keep on hearing from communications people, from from political uh, strategists, is you don't win an election by talking about the past. You don't win an election uh, litigating decisions made in by previous governments. Uh, you, you have to have a, a focus on the future. What is Danielle Smith's message if, if she is riding this wave of, of uh, antagonism towards the way that the, the, the federal government and the, prov the province uh, has litigated or handled the pandemic now that the pandemic is effectively over in people's minds? Well, I think I would say that's an oversimplification of what she's campaigned on. I mean, certainly that's an aspect of it is that this wasn't handled correctly. Sure. But she's I mean, she's broadly campaigned on sort of the Sovereignty Act. Um, and she tried to add some bells and whistles to it this week with with stuff about the carbon tax and some other things when she did her like her, you know, twice annual press conference or whatever the hell that was. Um, so, you know, I think I think she's tapped into like Alberta's pissed, like middle fingers up, man, like they're mad. Um, and they're no different, I think, into a certain extent than how Quebec, like Quebec does the same shit. Quebec does yeah. the exact same stuff. Legault does the exact same stuff. And yet like Bill 21, Bill 10, whatever, like all this stuff, but it's because it's Quebec and it's vote rich. It's like, oh, well, we, we must not possibly call this out, right? We, oh, Quebec mm -hmm. can create its own laws, which are against our constitution. And like, and it's just like, oh, well, we'll take, I'm concerned. We'll take a look. Alberta, it's like, oh my God, they've. You know, they've gone, they've gone crazy. How can we possibly allow them to ignore federal rules? I'm like, I don't know, man, Quebec does it every year. So I think she's going to, she's going to keep, she's going to be like, we think people thought Jason Kenney was aggressive federally. It's going to be very interesting to watch her with the mandate that she's going to have from, I mean, it's interesting, it's her membership, right? Not the broad spectrum of voters in Alberta, but I, I do think they feel like they got a raw deal, um, they, they continue to and I think like candidly the prime minister and I know I'm a critic of his but I, like has not done a great job in like all of branching out to Alberta um oh, and you see that yeah. like raw angst and energy there right so I think she's channeling that and and that's smart and she's not the first Alberta politician to do that she's not the last Alberta politician to do that she's also not the last Canadian politician to do that like Legault to a much more I would say surgical extent does the same thing now, Danielle Smith needed, I think, a lot more noise around her because of floor crossing and all this other kind of shit. But she made it very, she made it very simplistic, like simplistic is wrong, but I think a very much a, I will fight for you against these guys. And I think people embrace that because they want, they don't want somebody who's got a more balanced government-y thoughtful opinion right now. They're pissed. And, you know, that's why people thought Jason Kenney was going to the ends of the earth. Just wait, man, just wait. This is going to be very funny to watch. It is, it is a really difficult time for Laurentian federalists when you have, uh, when you have Quebec, Alberta, and, and Saskatchewan all throwing up their hands saying, we're not even sure we're, we're, we're in this thing. Well, it's, it's up the Laurentian federalists. It's their, like, candidly, like, that's your, on your feet, my friends. You guys have been in government for, what, eight years now? So, you know. And I think to be fair, any government with that long in the tooth 
is going to have cracks in price, right? Yeah. And you've got, I think, I think really like, candidly, there's a really fascinating masterclass being played by Legault, who does it in a subtle fashion, but in a very direct, like you know, very direct fashion in a way we don't see from Saskatchewan and Alberta, probably because English Canada Canadian media, as we will consume, um, it's just like much more tuned to those federalist fights than what you'd see in Quebec, which Quebec is like, yeah, of course we have a right to do this, this, and this. Um, so, and there's a lack of willingness to call out what happens in Quebec versus what, like if, if I said this all along, if, if Quebec or if Alberta had passed bill 21, you'd be losing their minds. Same thing in Ontario happens in Quebec. It's like, well, like people don't like it, but all the federal politicians got away with not. So I just think, yes, Laurentian and the leads, I feel bad for you, but I think, you know, even, end of Harper's time, like his interesting coalition that he had created had started to fray a little bit as well. Um, but Danielle Smith's entrance onto the, the national stage, and I think to a certain extent Pierre Polya, right? Because they have sort of similar outsidery vibes, even if they're not outsiders because they've both been like to a certain extent less or more career politicians. Yeah. So so how does Pierre figure into this? If you if you kind of Look at the next few years and imagine that with everything happening around equalization and the, the, the healthcare system, there are going to have to be some conversations between Ottawa and the provinces in, at the very least, reopening some of, the, some of these agreements. And Trudeau is going to have to be in the hot seat. He's going to find himself in a hot seat where he has to stand up for federalism. How does Pierre respond to that? Is he, is he going to say, let the provinces just vibe, man? I don't know. I think it'll depend. I think it, you know, he doesn't like, he doesn't need Alberta. Like he's kind of got that. Right. But I think there'll be an expectation that um, where I think will be relative to see is what he does with Quebec um, and with Legault. Right. Cause if we remember Legault actually endorsed uh, Aaron O'Toole in the last federal That's election right. campaign, which is like a very faint memory, but he did do that. And he is, you know, there's a lot of conservative, like heck sharper staffers who worked in that or worked or have worked around that administration. So there's certainly, there's a lot of ties there. Um, you know, I, I, the other thing I would say is I don't think the prime minister needs to be governed by convention about reopening agreements or not. He may choose to do so sporadically, but even when he's done it, he's sort of done it as like a big national, like I'm going to do nationalized daycare up to you provinces to implement it. Right. So he's actually not, other than maybe the funding which I think is like 30, 60 right now, I believe, like split between the feds and the province for healthcare. I mean, he could consider upping it. It's not as if they've ever been concerned about spending lots of money, <laughs> which like fine. Um, but I don't, he seems to get away with or be able to sneak around not having to do those big major decisions unless it's on his timeline. And, and he's got, he's got a minority, but he's got his agreement with the NDP. I mean, they've done this ridiculous dental deal. So in theory, he lives to fight another day for a year. So I'm not, I'm not sure. I think it'll be interesting if he chooses to dip toe in there, but they've got a lot of other things that they've promised to do that they have yet to accomplish, including the three-page NDP manifesto or whatever it is that they have to action. I think it'll be interesting. I can't wait. I hope that we're not, we don't wait another two years for an election because I want to, I want to see the fight. I think it's going to be like the seventies flyers versus the seventies flyers. Like, just, just punching and and spitting and kicking. It's going to be great. See, I'm I'm not. The, I'm, that's one reference, cultural reference. I don't know. So that's. I, I believe you that it was a rough and tumble hockey fight. I don't really watch hockey, and I don't know anything about the Flyers. But I think it will be. Yeah, I think I think actually watching those two campaign against each other, and obviously Jugmeet Singh will be there too. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. As he always is. Yeah. Um, and whoever runs the Green Party, because they're a disaster. Um, but I do think, I think it's, you know, like, as, as much as I love politics, I think it's important. There's more parts of politics in this country that is would be fundamental or functioning as as a, as a society, but there's, there's also an element to me of sport in it. And watching two, I think, very good athletes, like like relatively the top of their game. You could argue PM may have been at the top of his game like one or two elections ago, but still very, you know, Trudeau's an amazing campaigner, um, and Pierre is a very good speaker and campaigner. Watching them go toe to toe will be excellent. I also don't think we're going to wait two years for it either. I think they'll they'll do it to their own benefit, but. It does, feel, another two years. it does feel like uh, the promotional period before a big boxing match where you have, yeah. you, you, ha- you have the champ and then you have the upstart and they're just dancing around each other and you know that it's going to get scheduled soon. No dates being set, but it's going to happen. They're on a collision course. You could get Michael Buffer to say, let's get ready to rumble. It's going to be great. Yeah, well, like the first day in question period, I don't know if you saw this, but like all of the networks had like, Pierre Polyev and Prime Minister faced off on first day of question period. And I was like, really? Because I, I was hosting my show and they were, we do the biggest stories of the week on Fridays, um, which, by the way, is, is paused now, but we'll be back in the new year with me once I'm off maternity leave. Um, and they were, my producer was like, oh, we should do this. And I was like, what? Why are we doing this? Why do normal people don't care about this shit? But if it gets people excited, I care about- great. We did not do it as a topic because I, I prevailed that I, I still believe no more people don't give a shit about question period, but, but like you give a shit about question period. So, wow. Anybody listening to this gives a shit about probably gives a shit question about question period, period for yeah. sure. For sure. Well, Amanda, thanks very much for your time. Uh, I know that you're going to be leaving us uh, to go on parental leave for, uh, for some time and we'll definitely miss you. I'll do my best to keep uh, your chair warm. Uh, do you have any parting thoughts, uh, things that you'll be watching for from the, from the sidelines? <laughs> I mean, once I yeah get birth to the baby. Um, well, I mean, thanks, thanks, Adam, for having me. It's actually been a nice treat to be on the other side. Um, and for those listening, apologies for my voice. Uh, I'm a little under the weather, which is a super tr- great treat at 39 weeks pregnant. Let me tell you. But uh, it's been a blast to host the podcast for the last four years. Obviously, I'm taking a little break while I focus on our family. And Adam will be an amazing host, talking about all the great issues uh, that face us as a country, and certainly giving some awesome insight with our colleagues. And uh, we'll be back. I'll be back maybe in about a year, hopefully. So we will, uh, I'll see you then. But otherwise, you're in good hands with Adam and crew. Well, thanks very much. Political Traction is powered by Navigator, Canada's leading high-stakes public affairs firm. Our show was produced by Thomas Ashcroft, Matthew Barnes, Jeff Costin, Kayla Duty, Hunter Nifton, and Jenny McElwain. A very special thank you goes out to Amanda Galbraith. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate us online wherever you find your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Traction. Polly. I'm your host, Adam Owen.